the high. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you here today. As you can tell from that video, we had a great time at the Beast Feast last night. It was very cool to get together with other guys and throw some axes, shoot some guns, take a blacksmithing lesson, and sample some wild game. Uh, that was the first time for me to eat frog legs, and they are pretty good. You should try them sometime if you've never done that. But last night was not just about hanging out and doing guy stuff. We also heard a strong message from Chris Wells, the bass chaplain. And he challenged all of us to take a next step closer to Jesus. And now, just a few hours later, we're here for the same reason. We're here because everybody in this room has a next step to take. So we're going to look at Scripture this morning. And we're going to ask God to show us what that step might be. For several months, we've been in a big series called The Gospel, which is a journey through the life and the ministry of Jesus. And today, we're wrapping up a four-week focus on the topic of faith. We've seen that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, you will never have a relationship with Jesus, you will never be forgiven, and you will never enter God's kingdom. The only way for anyone to get to God is by grace through faith in Jesus. This morning, we're going to conclude this series on faith by looking at Matthew chapter 13. And this chapter is very interesting. In Matthew 13, Jesus preaches a sermon, but this particular sermon is just a whole series of parables. It's a bunch of stories. That's what a parable is, right? A parable is a story that uses familiar objects and familiar char characters to communicate an important spiritual truth. And in this sermon, Jesus uses parables to help us understand the kingdom of God. Now, if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you can't help but notice that the kingdom of God is a very big deal. In fact, Jesus said that pursuing the kingdom of God needs to be a top priority. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This verse is foundational for what we're talking about today, so I thought we should stop and take the time to memorize this verse. Now, if you haven't been around Plum Creek very long, this may be new to you, but it's really not that difficult. Here's how we do it. 
We'll start by reading this verse together out loud, and uh, then pretty soon we'll know it. So let's try this. Uh, let's, let's read it loud and strong together. Ready? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All right, right out the gate. You guys were strong with that. So now what we do is we're going to take a few words and remove them. We'll have a few blanks. And it's, this is not going to give you any trouble. Let's, let's read it again, though. Here we go. But seek first the of God and his, and all these will be added to you. Piece of cake. You guys were all over that. Now we need to take out a few more words. It's getting a little tougher, but not too bad. Let's try it again. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Not bad, not bad. Now, I think you did such a good job that time, we're ready to take out all of the words. What do you think? Can we do this? One last time. Here we go. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All right. You have learned a Bible verse. You've memorized that. Congratulations. So now we need to make sure we know what Jesus is talking about here. When he uses that phrase, the kingdom of God, what does he mean exactly? Is he talking about heaven? Or is he talking about something here on earth? In a way, it's both. Here's a definition that may be helpful. The kingdom of God could be defined as any place where God's rule has truly begun. So heaven would definitely fall under that definition. But Jesus also came to establish God's kingdom in this world. For example, if you have allowed Jesus to be the king in your life, if you're letting God rule in your heart, then his kingdom has already taken hold of you. And if you are a citizen of God's kingdom, you have received a priceless gift. The truth is, it's impossible to overstate the value of the kingdom of God. That's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13. Now, remember, this is a sermon made up of parables. And one of those parables goes like this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So you get that. Uh, there's a man in a field. He, he stumbles onto some kind of treasure, and as soon as he finds it, he's super excited because he knows this treasure is extremely valuable. Kind of reminds me of something that happened to my family a long time ago. I believe I was in high school. I know we were living in Florida at the time. My mom always liked to go to garage sales, and one day she picked up a set of encyclopedias about nature. So she brings home these books, and immediately they go into the closet of my brother's room, and they remain untouched there for years, literally years. Now, my brother Greg was kind of a readaholic. And one day, I'm guessing he ran out of science fiction or fantasy novels because he goes into his closet and he pulls out those nature encyclopedias. He picks up a book and he opens it up and all of a sudden he starts yelling. We hear this and we know something big is going on, so we run into his room. 
See, as Greg flipped through the pages, these bills started to fall out. Those encyclopedias were full of U.S. silver certificates. And if you're not familiar with silver certificates, they were a type of currency that looked like paper money. And back in the day, you could trade them in for actual silver. Anyway, at the final count, Greg had found over $400 worth of these things. This was great news for our whole family because our old TV had just been struck by lightning. So my brother's treasure paid for a new TV. Thank you, Greg. But you know, at that garage sale, a lot of people must have seen those encyclopedias, but nobody recognized how valuable they were. The value was hidden until my brother opened them up and saw what was inside. So it's a lot like that parable that Jesus told. It's a lot like the kingdom of God. Not everyone understands this, but the kingdom of God is more valuable than anything else in your life. It's totally worth it to give up everything you have for God's kingdom. That's what the man in the field did when he found the treasure, right? He sold all that he had. So let me ask you, what do you think? Do you see the kingdom of God as a priceless treasure? If you're not sure, let's think about this for a second. Think about what a kingdom would look like when God truly reigns as king. Think about all the problems in your life right now. Go ahead, make a mental list. Think of everything that stresses you out. What do you worry about? What is causing you pain right now? Or when you look at the world, what do you see that is just plain wrong? Once you have that list, here's the great news about God's kingdom. When God is in charge, completely in charge, everything that's wrong just goes away. This, this is the truth. When God's kingdom is in full effect, sin and evil are eliminated. Lying, cheating, stealing, lust, murder, and on and on. All of those things will be eradicated by a God who is holy and just. He simply won't stand for those things. And you know what that means, right? That means when God's kingdom is in full effect, not only are sin and evil eliminated, but also the consequences of sin and evil. Consequences like the trauma of being abandoned or betrayed. Consequences like horrific shame, lonely tears, starving children. All of those things are the result of sin and many other things as well. But the rule and reign of God means all those things go away. So you see it, right? A kingdom like that would be priceless. But there is a nagging question that we have to deal with here. If Jesus came to establish this kingdom almost 2,000 years ago, why are we still dealing with evil? Why are we still dealing with the consequences of sin? Well, we need to, we need to ask this question. Does the kingdom of God already exist, or is it something we have to wait for? Is it still in the future? Well, the answer has to be yes. Yes, it's already here, and yes, we're still waiting. The kingdom is both present and future. Jesus did establish God's kingdom a long time ago, and you can see lots of evidence of that if you know where to look, but in much of the world, God's rule has not truly begun yet. The kingdom is already here, but it's not fully realized. 
And right now, we're in this window of time where Jesus invites all of us to enter his kingdom. Everyone is invited, but not everyone will accept that invitation, unfortunately. And that's the message of the first parable of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. And for most of us who grew up in church, this story is very familiar. Some call this the parable of the sower or the parable of the seed. I like to call it the parable of the soils, and you'll see why here in a minute. Well, let's go ahead and read this. Matthew 13, starting with verse 1. Matthew says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So there you go, the parable of the soils. And you remember what we said about parables, right? A parable uses familiar objects and familiar characters to teach an important spiritual truth. So let's try to figure out the truth that Jesus is communicating here. First, let's review the basic plot. You've got this farmer who's out sowing seed. And this image would have been very familiar to people in the time of Jesus, but it may seem kind of strange to us because this particular farmer is flinging seed all over the place. He doesn't seem to care about where those seeds will land. But for the people listening to Jesus, this this wouldn't have been strange at all. At that time, farmers weren't always sure which ground was good, so they threw out a lot of extra seed to make sure they covered the good ground. And in this case, the seed falls onto four different kinds of soil. First, we have the hard path. This ground has been trampled by people walking over it again and again. It's compacted. It's impenetrable. Ain't no seed getting in there. The second scenario is the shallow soil with the rocks underneath. And the seed can actually start to grow here, but the roots never go deep because of those rocks. The third type of soil is full of thorns and weeds that choke out the seed. The good plants have to compete with the bad plants. And then finally, after three bad scenarios, we have the good soil. It's not hard. It's not rocky. You're not competing with a bunch of weeds. It's got all the good stuff, none of the bad stuff, which means the plants can thrive and grow and yield an abundant crop. So the story itself is very simple, right? A child could easily understand the earthly side of this parable. But what about the spiritual meaning? Well, to be honest, even that isn't too difficult until you get to the application. What are we supposed to do with this story? How do we apply it to our lives? Well, I'm praying that God will make that part clear this morning. But let's look at what we can be sure about. A few verses later, Jesus himself explains the meaning of this parable, the spiritual side of this. 
Let's jump in on the conversation he has with his disciples. Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Okay, there's a lot we need to unpack here, and let's start from the top. Who does the sower represent? Well, that would be Jesus, right? He's the one who spreads the seed. So then what does the seed represent? Jesus told us back in verse 19, he said, the seed is the message about the kingdom. It's about that invitation to let him reign as the king of your heart. So if the sower is Jesus and the seed is the message about the kingdom, who would the soil be? It's people, isn't it? Different kinds of people. And in three out of four cases here, these people are resisting the kingdom of God. So at the end of the day, we should not think of this as some children's story. Jesus is giving us a hard truth here. He's saying the sower is not the problem. The seed is not the problem. The soil is the problem. It's kind of like when somebody wants to end a relationship and they say, it's not you, it's me. Except here, Jesus is saying, it's not me, it's you. (laughs) It's not the messenger. It's not the message problem is you. And you know, a lot of us like to think that we're not the problem. It's kind of classic. When we read the Bible and we see Jesus confronting those people, whoever they are, we start cheering him on. Like, yeah, you go, Jesus. You put those sinners in their place. But we have to be careful here. We need to step back in humility and do some soul searching. We need to consider the possibility that Jesus may be talking to us What did he say back in verse 9? He said, whoever has ears, let them hear. Clearly, back then, a lot of people weren't listening. But the reality is, a lot of people today aren't listening either. So why is it that some of us don't have ears to hear? Well, right after Jesus tells this story, the disciples go up and they ask him, what are you doing here, Jesus? Why are you telling these parables? It's clear that A lot of people don't understand what you're talking about. You see, the disciples had noticed that Jesus was changing his tactics. If you go back and read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaks very directly. He says things like, if you forgive others who sin against you, then your, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But here in chapter 13, his whole sermon is a series of parables. So the disciples are asking a very good question. But then Jesus gives a curious response. In verse 11, he says, I speak in parables because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. 
Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So you see what I mean? It's kind of curious, isn't it? It's like, are you trying to confuse them, Jesus? Don't you want them to understand? And of course, he wants them to understand. But they've already shown they don't want to hear his message. They're not interested. So when Jesus speaks, a lot of the audience just hears, rah, 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 rah. And there were several reasons for that. Some of them had already made up their minds. They decided Jesus was the enemy. And then others were curious about Jesus. They were interested in his message, but they didn't really want to follow him, not long term. But Jesus says, if you listen to me with an open mind and an open heart, and you put your faith in me, you are going to be blessed. That blessing begins here and now, but as time goes by, it will multiply. So let's get back to us. We need to apply this to our lives. And as we try to do that, let's not make any assumptions. Let's not just assume that uh, everything's fine, like <laughs> I'm not the problem, they're the problem. I'm, I'm in the 25%, the 75% over there, that's who Jesus is talking to. Now, if we're going to hear from God this morning, we need to take an honest look at each kind of soil and ask, which one am I right now? The only way to know that is to look at your response to Jesus. That's the evidence that we're looking for. Our response to Jesus reveals the condition of our hearts. And this is a big deal. Because if our hearts are not properly oriented toward Jesus, we're not going to be a part of his kingdom. So let's break it down. Based on what Jesus said, what are the four different kinds of people? Let's make a quick list. First, the hard path represents a hardened heart. Second, the rocky soil represents a shallow heart. The, the soil with thorns and weeds represents a divided heart. And then finally, that good soil represents an open heart. So let's deal with each category one at a time. We'll start with the hardened heart. If this is you, you are not open to the message of Jesus. The hardened heart is not willing to receive the word. Jesus flings that seed in your direction, and boink, it bounces right off. Why does that happen? Well, it could be that you have a hard time believing this stuff. Maybe to you, the Bible seems kind of like a fairy tale. But that's only one example of a hard heart. In many cases, your heart is hard because you're angry. You're angry that God has allowed certain things to happen, and it's made you bitter and resentful. So now, you just don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. Or here's another example. Maybe you just like how you're living right now, and you don't want to change. And you know that if Jesus will tell you to stop doing certain things and start doing other things. And you don't like the sound of that. So you take that volume knob, and you turn down the voice of Jesus. But then there's one more example we need to consider. Sometimes this hardness is all about pride. Think about it. In the time of Jesus, which group was most resistant to his message? It was the group that was more religious than anyone. They assumed that everything was great between them and God. They, they didn't consider the possibility that they might be wrong, that they might have gotten very off track. And you know, this still happens today. 
you can do a bunch of religious type things and still be in direct opposition to Jesus and his kingdom. So what do we do with all this? If you come to the conclusion that you do have a hard heart, are you just stuck with that? Is there no hope that you'll ever be a different kind of soil than what you are right now? I don't believe that's true. I don't believe you're stuck. I believe Jesus told this story because there is hope for us to change. We can still decide to have an open heart. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So what about the rocky soil? What about the shallow heart? Well, this is something we see all the time. The shallow heart gives up under pressure. If this is you, there was some point when you heard the message of Jesus and, and you were like, that's it. That's exactly what I've been looking for. And so you took the leap, and you made a commitment to follow Jesus, but that commitment didn't last. And why? Well, it's because you learned that following Jesus is not an easy path. Sooner or later, you run into trouble. You experience pressure. Sometimes that pressure comes in the form of temptation. And you say, Jesus, I know you don't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. How many of us have been there? very common, isn't it? But then other times, pressure comes in the form of persecution. Later in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul writes that every true follower of Jesus will be persecuted at some point. Uh, There will be pushback or ridicule or even outright attacks. If you're not ready for that, if your roots are not deep, you will wither under that pressure. So, For those of us who do not have deep roots right now, what can we do? Well, you need to have a support system in place. And that support comes from God himself when you make it a habit to go to him directly in prayer and the study of his word. And you do that every day. But you also find that support from other followers of Jesus who walk alongside you and encourage you. And we all need that kind of help. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Then there's that thorny soil, the divided heart. The divided heart is lured away by things of this world. And this one is interesting. This one is less about pressure and persecution. It's more about pleasure and prosperity. This is even clearer when you read Luke's version of this parable. In Luke 8.14, Jesus says, The seeds that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. When you're blessed with prosperity, like we are here in the U.S., it's so easy to have a divided heart. But what did Jesus say? He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Pursue his kingdom above all else, above money, above career or comfort or pleasure or even family. And you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. They're all fine in their proper place, but that's the trouble. The things of this world never want to stay in their proper place. You know, in a church like ours, in a culture like ours, this may be the most significant threat we face, a divided heart. A lot of us have good intentions. We really want to put God first. Some of us have openly declared that He is our number one priority. 
But if Jesus took an inventory of how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what it is that you're most devoted to, would he say that you are seeking his kingdom first? That's a tough question. And if you have to admit that your heart is divided, Jesus is calling you back. He's calling you to make him your first love once again. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So we have one more category here. Let's think about the good soil. What stands out to you about this kind of person? Well, here's what I see. The open heart receives the word and responds with faith. There's that important word again, faith. If you've been here the past few weeks, you know what we've said about faith. Faith is not just believing in Jesus. It's belief plus trust. It's taking that leap, putting your life in his hands. When you really trust Jesus, you let him have control. His plans take precedence over your plans. And when that's the kind of faith you have, it's like that seed that's planted in good soil. That seed grows up into a strong and healthy plant, and that plant bears fruit. And that's something we haven't talked about yet. Uh, in this parable, what does the fruit represent? What kind of crop should we expect from a good soil type of person? Well, one way to answer that question is to go to Galatians chapter 5, where Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit. When you hear the message of Jesus, and you accept it, and you become a part of His kingdom, God's Holy Spirit begins to transform your life from the inside out. So Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as you look at your life, do you see more of these things than what you saw a year ago? If you're a follower of Jesus, and that's what you're seeing, that tells you a lot about the condition of your heart. But you know, there's another type of crop that comes from a fruitful plant. The fruit can also be about people. People who are drawn to God's kingdom through you. When you are that good soil and the Holy Spirit is really working in your heart, you become a living representation of Jesus. And when that's true, God will use you to lead others to Him. If your heart is receptive and responsive, God will do great things for His kingdom through you. So that's the good soil. But let's not forget the ratio from this parable. 75% of those soils were not receptive to the seed. Now, I don't believe that Jesus is saying that exactly 75% of people will reject Him, but I do believe a majority of people in this world are not good soil. And you know, when people resist or reject the message of Jesus, He's not going to force it. He invites everyone to faith, but He doesn't coerce anyone. A few weeks ago, I shared a story about the people of Nazareth, the people who lived in Jesus' hometown. And that story is actually in Matthew chapter 13, the chapter we're looking at today. When Jesus wraps up this sermon full of parables, he leaves that place and he travels to Nazareth. Once he gets there, he begins teaching and preaching in the synagogue. And at first, the people are amazed, but all of a sudden, they start to say, wait a minute, we know who this is. This is the carpenter's son. We know his mother, Mary. 
We know his brothers and his sisters. Who does he think he is? They were convinced that Jesus, the hometown boy, could not possibly be the Messiah. In other words, their hearts were hardened. They heard the message, and then, boink, it bounced right off. And then, look at that last verse in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, 58. And Jesus did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. That's a tragic thing, isn't it? What would have happened in Nazareth that day if they had been good soil? What would have happened if they had received the word and responded with faith? We don't know exactly, but we do know they would have seen miracles. We do know that the kingdom of God would have taken hold in their lives, and they would have been blessed. They would have become fruitful. So now, take that scenario and bring it into the present day. What kinds of blessings will we miss out on if we're not open to the message of Jesus? On the other hand, what kinds of miracles will we see if we accept his message and respond with faith? You know, as I've read through the Gospels, I've noticed a theme. I've noticed there are certain things that God will do only when we have faith. But there's another side to that. There are certain things that God will not do because we do not have faith. This is why it's not a waste of time to pray. A sincere prayer offered in faith is a powerful thing. Now, I'm not saying that God will give us everything we want, everything we ask for. In many cases, our will is not perfectly in line with His will. And that makes sense because God knows far more than what we know. And He, he sees far beyond what we can see. He is God, and we are not. But the principle is still true. There are certain things that God will do only when we have faith. And there are certain things that He will not do when we do not have faith. So it's time to bring this to a close. We've come to an end of this four-week emphasis on faith. But this theme is going to come up again and again because faith is foundational to our relationship with God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to enter His kingdom. So let's remember what God is teaching us here. An open heart will hear the message and respond with belief and trust in Christ. And then what happens next? A trusting faith leads to obedience, which leads to a fruitful life. When your heart is open to Him, God will do great things for His kingdom through you. So, do you know what kind of soil you are today? Do you know how God is leading you? Are you listening? Whoever has ears, let them hear. Let's pray. Father, you understand all the reasons why we resist you and your message and your kingdom. You know all the reasons why we get distracted or drawn away from what you want to do in our lives, in us and through us. Lord, I, I know that you're patient with us. I know that you're calling us to be that good soil. You want us to hear and understand and respond with faith. Lord, can you help us get over all of our bad soil tendencies? I pray for all of us here that uh, 
We'll be very clear about where we are and where you want us to be and how to get there. We know it's by your power, not by our own. We know it's by your leading, by your spirit. I know that faith opens up a window for your power to go to work in our lives. So Lord, build that faith in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.